Hello and welcome to the Swift Coders Podcast, where each week we interview an amazing Swift developer about their experience with Apple's new open source programming language. We hear their stories, learn their tips and tricks, and try to leave you feeling inspired and empowered on your Swift Coder journey. I'm your host, Garrick, and today's guest is Dean Murphy. Dean is an independent iOS developer based in England, best known for the iOS content blocker Crystal. Welcome to the show, Dean. Hi, thanks for having me. My pleasure. So, how's it going? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. I'm just getting over a cold from the past week. But uh... Oh, no. <laughs> Is it uh, the cold season, or the, you know, like the kind of get cold season? Pretty much, yeah. It's been like the coldest few weeks here in England for some reason. Oh, we don't have our no. winter until February to March this year for some reason. I've never been to <laughs> England before. I've never been to Europe. I need to go. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Come over. I it's will. Actually, I just ate a British-style crumpet in your honor this morning. I got it from Trader Joe's. It was really delicious. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a coincidence. We got them yesterday, but I woke up and I was eating and I was like, you know what? In honor of Dean, I'm eating this crumpet. <laughs> They're really good. I, I suggest you pick them up at your uh, local Trader Joe's. I don't know. Maybe you don't have one. I don't know. We don't have Trader Joe's over here, but uh, we've got so lots of places that sell crumpets, so it's fine. Nice, <laughs> nice. Okay, so it is like a British thing. Anyways, it was really good. It's like a pancake kind of. Yeah, it's, it's like a pancake with little holes in the top. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit strange. Anyway, so a little bit of background on how Dean and I met. Technically, we've never met in person, and this is actually the first time we're talking over the phone. We've I messaged a little bit of uh, back and forth, and that's actually really big on how we met. So... Back when iOS 9 was first released, content blocking as a feature, as a capability on iOS was released, was announced. And Dean was one of the first people to experiment and actually, you know, put a blog post out there uh, about his experience with content blocking on iOS 9. And I don't know, you know, how I saw it, but somebody, you know, maybe reposted it. I don't remember who. And, I, you know, it's a new feature, so I'm just taking a look, and everybody was kind of excited to see what, what Dean's experiments revealed. And so I'm taking a look, and then I check his Twitter out, and he has, um, you know, it says Message Dean, or iMessage Dean, um, you know, on his Twitter, like, listed. You can just, you know, go on there and, and iMessage Dean. And I'm like, what? Like, you can just do that? Like, who, who does that? Who just puts their <laughs> iMessage up on Twitter. And so I did it. I was like, I'm, I'm a new to programming. I want to reach out to people that are, you know, doing their thing or experienced programmers. So I just I messaged Dean and he's like, hey, what's up? And we just start going back and forth. I don't remember what we talked about specifically. Do you? I, I don't. I can't remember either because I had a lot of iMessages around that point because that <laughs> blog post went kind of viral. I like got posted on Daring Fireball and then it got picked up by the Wall Street Journal and it just got a bit out of hand. But uh Wow. So that's probably how I <laughs> yeah. saw it, maybe through Daring Fireball. Possibly, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so I, I messaged him and, 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 you know, nothing big, you know, came out of it at that time. But then when I launched a podcast, I'm going through my head, who do I know that's awesome, that is responsive, that I can message and you came to mind and, and here we are. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Yeah, no problem. No problem. All right. So you are an independent iOS developer in England. You have a main app, Crystal, that you work on. Uh, what does that mean, independent iOS? Or what, what do you do? Like, what are you up to right now? Um, okay, so I'll, I'll pretty much just work for myself now. Um, Crystal, I'm very lucky. It's been able to give me the ability to quit my job, my, my old day job, 
um, and just work for myself from home, which is quite nice. Um, I get to, you know, do all the design work on it. I get to do the programming on it and, and all that. So it's, yeah, that's pretty much what independent means for me. Wow. So you just work on it every day? You wake up, you have like a list of features? I mean, because content blocking, from my perspective, doesn't seem like a big thing. Is there like a whole bunch of stuff you need to do to keep kind of keeping it up to date? Yeah, a lot of it's keeping the um, the block list up to date and keeping it optimized for um, for the websites as they change and as, you know, sometimes they circumvent ad blocking and it's it's a little bit of cat and mouse here and there or sometimes I've you know, it's not 100% accurate. It doesn't pick up every single advert online, but it's just getting better over time as I'm um, adding to it or fixing websites that sometimes it breaks things. Like if it blocks a bit of JavaScript that's important for that website to actually function, I have to go in and make an exception for that website and just things like that. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of work behind it. And also updating the app as well. There's a lot of new features I'm adding in the 2.0 update and also an Android version, which I've been working on as well. Interesting. Okay, so we're definitely going to get into a lot of the more iOS related stuff and even that Android uh, topic, which is interesting. But so it sounds like you're not just doing iOS development from a day to day. You mentioned JavaScript, and I'm assuming a lot of the keeping up to date in terms of the actual content blocking doesn't really have much to do with iOS development, right? It's more like kind of getting this list or something. Yeah, keeping that up to date. It's all just a big giant um, JSON. Uh, interesting list basically and just it just tells um safari what to block and what not to block wow so it's just making sure that's accurate and as accurate as it can be okay so uh what was i mean you used to work for a company i guess it sounds like you said you quit your day job were you working as an ios developer for another company or no no my old job was doing uh, more server administration for councils and hospitals Oh, wow. Uh, so for local government. So that was quite good. It, it required a lot of out-of-hours work, so I'd done 24-7 shifts. Um, so I'd done a lot of out-of-hours work. But I did do a little bit of programming, um, just writing scripts, just to automate a lot of common things that we used to do as a team, just to make life a lot easier for us, you know, just to cut down the workload, basically. Yeah, I want to learn that, like these, I know there's like Apple script. I've done some workflows before, like Automator workflows. I want to try that, like... Uh, for instance, if you have to send out a bunch of emails, but you kind of just need to change, you know, one thing of it, I feel like maybe you could write a script for that. I don't know, but that's cool. Okay, so uh, you you're an independent iOS developer now. You worked for a company before. I know there's a lot of people getting into iOS development because maybe they want to be an independent developer, um, but you know, there's like a lot of talk about you know you can't be an independent developer anymore. You're obviously I don't know, maybe see people would say you're the exception to the rule. Um, what's are, i mean what's your take on like are you I, I assume you're super happy like you're you know you're your own man now you don't have to work for somebody else like what are your thoughts on that because i know there's a lot of people that want to you know kind of get into your shoes yeah definitely um yeah I'm, I'm quite happy i've got a good quality of life um it's quite nice i live in like um i live in like, the northeast of england where Things are relatively cheap compared to like big cities like London, New York, San Francisco. So it's all relative on um, if you can be independent, like how much money do you actually need to survive and, you know, what what money are you cap- uh, comfortable with bringing in? Right. So like if you work for a big company, let's say in San Francisco, that means you maybe have to live in San Francisco, which costs a lot. So you have to make a lot of money. But Yeah. So if you want to be an independent developer in San Francisco, you'd need to earn probably triple, four times what someone needs to live in, uh, you know, 
maybe a small estate, for example. That's a really good yeah. point. Awesome. Okay, so I want to get into how you actually became a programmer. Uh, you said you were doing system admin, but even before that, when did you first start to learn programming? Um, I don't know if it counts as programming, but around about the early 2000s, I was making and updating websites just in just as a hobby, just HTML and just downloading like a PHP thing um, host from my website. I think it used to be called PHP Nuke back in the day and just editing it. And that was my first real experience to, you know, working with a syntax and working with code in that sort of respect. Um, but only what really were you doing before that? Um, before that, um, I was just mainly playing with computers, <laughs> nothing really programming. But um, it's only really the past five years I've started working with iOS and learning proper programming, what, what, what I consider to be proper programming, like making things from scratch and learning projects and um, stuff like that. So, you know, you didn't go, like some people, a lot of people, for instance, in the U.S., a lot of programmers, they go to school, they study programming in school, they go to college and they get a computer science degree, and then they go work as a programmer. For me, I went to school and uh, got a political science degree, and then I became a lawyer, and I worked as a lawyer for a little while, and I'm like, I don't really like this, and I quit. I drove Uber and taught myself iOS programming, uh, you know, iOS development, and now, you know, that's what I do. Uh, it sounds like you kind of have a similar background. I mean, I don't know how, how old you are, so I can't judge, <laughs> like, you know, what five means, what five years really means, so, but, like, were you did you study computer programming in school or no not at all well, i'm 29 um, oh, okay we're close in age then i'm 32 31 32? okay yeah very close very close so um when i was in my late school years i just used to make websites with a friend our rit lessons in school were very boring like they basically just taught you how to be um a word processor you know teach you how to use word and excel and how to use powerpoint just basically right you know, okay me things. too yeah, so it was really boring. So I never pursued IT. I always had an interest in computers. And I learned a lot. Pretty much everything I knew is from outside of school. I didn't learn anything in school about computers. Like I was the one that was, um, we didn't have an internet. We didn't have the internet at school because it was all blocked. But I could get around that by downloading web pages through front page, downloading for offline viewing. So I used to download web pages in front page, which was Microsoft's WYSIWYG web editor back in the early 2000s you used to download web pages and then view them offline which is quite, used to be quite fun back when the Wait, whole what do you mean was, yeah. what do you mean it was uh, blocked you couldn't access the internet yeah so like internet explorer just wouldn't work at, at our school because the um, administrators just blocked it oh so i actually access any web pages okay and i don't really <laughs> remember what it was like if it sounds like what you're saying is the way that you were able to access the internet was through school i don't remember if maybe there was a time when i couldn't access it at home, but I could access it at school. I don't remember, but it sounds like that was the case for you. Yeah, I had internet at home, but at school... Oh, you did have it at home? Yeah, I had it at home, but at school we didn't have it. So in our IT lessons, we used to just... I pretty much taught quite a few people how to download web pages using front page. That is so cool. Was, I don't know anything <laughs> about that. It's it's It probably won't work these days because uh, there's not that many static pages around. It's all dynamic content, but... So you used to have yeah. to download a page, uh, like a website, one page at a time? Yep, yep. And then look at a hyperlink you want to click on, right-click it, copy the link, paste it, and then download that page. And it was horrible. Oh, that is so funny. It was, a, it was a lot more fun than learning how to do mail merge in Outlook or something like that. 
<laughs> okay, so when would you say you actually like started to learn what you consider to be, you know, computer programming? Yeah, I took it seriously about four or five years ago, um, probably closer to five years when um, I've been an Apple user for a long time and I got the iPhone and the app store was just blooming and flourishing. I thought I really want to be a part of this and really want to make apps for the phone. Like, you know, it's a very new market. And it's very exciting. Um, so I downloaded Xcode and I didn't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got this big IDE, uh, but you, you know, you got Xcode, which you don't know what button does what or anything like that. And then you've got Objective C, which you don't understand what a programming language is or, you know, what to type or, or anything. And then, um, so yeah, they're your big two battles, the IDE. And then you've got the APIs, which is the third battle, you know, what's the so, between the programmer language and the APIs. Right, right. Okay, so before that, before four years, you don't have any real programming experience, you think, with like programming languages or anything like that? No, no, just basic editing HTML, really. Okay. Okay, so you have a Mac, you download Xcode, you open it up, and you're like, okay, what is going on? Well, what do you do? How did you, I mean, how did you end up where you are now? How did you, what did you do? Yeah, well, the first um, thing I done was Google, you know, how to make an iOS app and everyone on the comments pretty much said go to iTunes University and download the Stanford course nice on iOS so I tried that and I wouldn't recommend it to anyone who's just beginning because it's got quite a few heavy prerequisites that you need to know and I didn't know them so I just got lost after the first episode <laughs> basically um then I got recommended um uh the book by Big Nerd Ranch right right on Objective-C, so I learned Objective-C through that. Um, Did you just go through the whole book? I went for about half of it. Nice. Half of it, and then um, somehow I ended up quitting Objective-C and Xcode because uh, a friend recommended Corona SDK. I don't know if you've heard of that. No, I've heard of Cordova. Mm, I've not heard of that one. <laughs> but um, okay. Corona SDK, basically you make iPhone apps by using a scripting language called Lua, which is quite similar to python so it's a lot more compared to objective c for a beginner it's a lot easier to read it so similar to swift it's very like natural language um a natural language language so i started making iphone apps with corona sdk and lua but um i got quite good at it and i quite enjoyed it i made quite a few apps that i published but then i kept running into these roadblocks where because it wasn't native i couldn't do things like for example, when iOS updates, like to iOS 7, at this point I think it was, there was all these new features that I couldn't use because the developers of Corona SDK haven't put them in the in their SDK yet. So they need to update Corona to support all the new things. So he's always a few steps behind. Right. Um, so the only way to, you know, be with Apple is to take Apple's native code and learn it. So that's when, um, with, with Corona SDK, I kind of got like really good programming knowledge of how programming works. Now I could apply that with Objective-C and then Objective-C didn't look as intimidating because I knew the fundamentals of how it works. I just need to learn the syntax of it. So that, that helped quite a lot. Right, right. So wait, with the Corona, did you have uh, like an IDE that you were using or it's, how did that work? Um, just a text editor, just a text editor. Interesting. Um, okay. It's all very basic. Like, you know, with one line of code, you can put a square box on screen. With two more lines of code, you can add physics to it. So it's, it's a very easy program language it does a lot very of work high for level. you yeah very high level wow i say is it still um out there is it still up to date it's still up there yeah it's still around still up to date um 
I haven't really followed it that much, but it, it's still around and there's still a lot of people using it. And it's a really good engine for games. It's very optimized for um, for mobile games. That's got like you know physics engines built in, which are very easy to use, and um, it's just mainly targeted for games, I believe. So, what were you doing at the time? Were you still working as a sysadmin while you're teaching yourself um, Xcode, Objective C, then switching to Corona, and then switching back? It sounds like to Objective C and Xcode. Were you working full time? Yeah, that's right. I had a full time job, and because um, I was doing night shifts, uh, I had a lot of downtime during that time. So I used to learn while at work as well, just go through tutorials at work. Right, right, right. You hear that, Swift Coders? If you need a full-time job, but you want to learn iOS development, Do get a night shift. like a night shift job. Yeah, like be a night manager, a night security <laughs> guard, or something where you just have to sit there with a computer, you know, or you can have a computer, and then you can just study. That's such a good idea. Actually, I uh, was going to get a job uh, as a night shift hotel clerk at like a small motel, and um, I live in Hollywood, so I told them I was studying for a role. You know, like that's why I, uh, why I needed the job because I had a video editing uh, job at the time. So I was like, okay, I can just be the night manager and edit video at the same time. Yeah. But I ended up I ended up not taking the job. But that's so funny. Oh man. Okay, so when you transitioned back, uh, you know, from Corona back to Xcode and Objective C, what time? Around what time is that? Um, that was probably. About six months before Swift was introduced. Okay. So, so, so a few you, years ago. You spent um, that six months really digging into Xcode and Objective-C. How did that go? Did you get any apps out? or? Um, I didn't get any apps out, but um, I, I didn't get any that I released, but I got some that I made for myself just as like tests and you know proof of concepts and, and stuff like that. So I felt comfortable using Objective-C at that point. Did you go back and refer to that Bigner Ranch book or anything else, or were you sort of comfortable that you didn't need to? You kind of just fiddled around with with the IDE. Um, I done some of the Bigner Ranch book again. Um, I started at the beginning, and it made a lot more sense having right. knowing the concepts they were talking about, which really helped. And then um, from there, it was just learning how to use the documentation within Xcode, and that's pretty much what carried me forward. I just find out what I want to do. Um, and for example, I made a very basic calculator app, um, just to learn how to make a calculator in Objective C with Xcode. You know how to get the user interface in Xcode and how to, which was completely alien to me at that point. And then how to get the code right to, you know, perform the functions and stuff like that. So that's pretty much how how I learned, just making very basic apps. Um, and when you're making something really basic and you've got like, very basic questions to answer, like Stack Overflow is perfect. Right. I mean, you just Google and then you find the answers and they're quite short answers. They're very understandable. And um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty much how it went from there. So then that means, let's see. So six months, Swift comes out. Uh, let's see. But iOS, okay, so iOS 9 didn't come out until 2015. So then what were you doing at, at that point then? Um, because it sounds like you still had your sysadmin job until, I mean, I don't know how recently you quit, but at least yeah. like another year. Definitely, yeah. Until so you're still just kind of teaching yourself how to program and, and, and just learning? or Yeah, when Swift came out, um, I pretty much sw- switched over to Swift from day one because um, it's pretty much it's pretty much every, like, pretty much the only thing I didn't like about iOS development was Objective-C. Like, I didn't like how it reads. It's very... It's, verbose. Yeah, it's very verbose. And I just didn't like that, that level of it. Um, and when Swift came out, as soon as I saw like 
parts of Swift code, just, you know, just how to do hello world and stuff like that. That was perfect. That was exactly what I was looking for. That reminded me so much of Lua, which what I started with, with Corona SDK. Um, so before yeah. I, before we get into Swift, I do want to talk a little bit more about just kind of general your your you know feeling about programming. Originally, mm-hmm. it sounded like you got into programming because you had ideas, you had an iPhone, you loved your iPhone, and you wanted to make stuff. That's the reason I got into it, and I think a lot of people feel the same way. So, but but you've been programming now for as you said four years. It, do you feel still feel the same way? Um, obviously, it's a job for you, but. Do you still feel like you have that same um, kind of excitement for it? And, or, you know, what is it about coding that you, you know, or programming that you like? Why do you stick with it? Yeah, I, th- I think it's mainly, um, we, we've been an independent developer. And sometimes if I'm just a bit bored of programming, I can just not do any programming. I can just work on some graphics, which um, I'm not the best graphic designer, but that's another skill that I'm trying to learn and trying my best to uh to get to so for me it's just keeping it fresh just if i'm getting bored of one thing i'll try another thing if i'm getting bored of that i'll try another thing or go back to programming um and also i i just like that rush that you get when you solve a problem like you know when you get so frustrated trying to uh to write a few lines of code and get to do something and it just doesn't work and then you know you're having a shower a few hours later and it just hits you just suddenly you know, that's what you've been <laughs> doing wrong and you just it's gotta totally go and run back to your computer and just type it while you're thinking of it and you're totally right and it feels so good right and a few episodes ago you're talking about how um an answer came to you in your sleep yeah that's happened to me so many times i've just gone to bed thinking of this problem and i've woken up in like 3 a.m it's like that's the answer that's that's what you gotta do (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then you just kind of like you do it and you you realize you you did it correctly or at least you solved the problem and you do like a happy dance right you gotta like run around and kind of (laughs) like shout maybe go you know see your significant other and kind of celebrate in front of them yeah and then she just has no idea what i'm talking about (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) yeah like interface builder and then like this enum and it was like i was switching but i didn't realize i had to like auto closure it's like (laughs) and she's like yep totally (laughs) oh man it's so good it's so good so what would you say that would be like the easiest part for, for programming for you when you first started? Like what was what was familiar or what was easy given like your brain, like your the way you learn and like the way that you are? What would you say is easy? And then what would you say is difficult? The easiest part is, um, I'd say probably the easiest part I found was just the sheer amount of resources online that can help you. Some of them are good, some of them are, are, are bad or not so good, or some of them are just purely out of date, especially a lot of the Swift ones where, you know, Swift is changing constantly with every revision but um there's just so many resources online which i never had when i was younger um you know like maybe 10 15 years ago going back like you know youtube you can just search for anything on youtube and it's there or you know udemy you can go to udemy.com and there's loads of courses you can buy and you can find like highly rated ones um so that's the biggest help i found was just so many resources and quite a good community as well who's willing to help and explain things if you don't understand them and you know, not be intimidating, um, especially with Swift being how new it is. Like everyone is all new to this together. Um, so everyone's very helpful, I find. It's quite a good community it's, um, that's built up around Swift. I agree with you, especially on the part with all those resources. But then at the same time, because there are so many resources, it can be easy to kind of get overwhelmed and not know, you know, what to, to trust or what to look at. And so how do you go about kind of, filtering the signal versus the noise 
yeah that's that's a good question it is very overwhelming the amount of tutorials like type in you know tutorial on hello world and you'll get like five thousand different blog posts of how to do it and they're all different ways possibly um the way i do it is just mainly to try it but then it's, once you once you try it and you follow the tutorial and it doesn't work you don't know if it's because you know you've done something wrong or the tutorial is wrong or out of date or right. you know software's update you know xcode's updated and it's not compatible and stuff like that so maybe just trial and error and if it is wrong just try and follow the error messages and find out why it's wrong and find out how to fix it um right and then even possibly just contact the author and say you know this is updated since then and you know just try and be a part of helping fix the problem and you know just write a comment on youtube like quite a few times i've followed a tutorial and then found there's a comment underneath saying this doesn't work try this instead um so what would you yeah. say is was the hardest part for you, um, you know, coming from a non-programming background to jumping into iOS development? What would you say is the hardest part? The hardest part? Mm, it's probably just having the time to right. do it. Like, um, I was quite lucky where I had a lot of downtime on my job where I could do it. But, but outside of that, you know, I've got a wife and two children and, you know, trying to convince my wife that what I'm working on as a hobby can eventually become a career and wow yeah. interesting yeah, stuff, stuff like that that's um what was that conversation like um that actually she got frustrated quite i'm going quite through lot. that right now by the way so yeah you know, yeah you're, you're you know you're not alone no no I, I know like she's very supportive um but naturally when i come home from work when i do day shifts and i go straight on my computer and work and then i don't see her till like 2 a.m in the morning when i climb into bed and, and wake up tired in the morning you know stuff like that it's just uh, very draining on a family um, so that, that's really hard to get around. Just, um, just trying to remind, you know, you've got this big idea in your head, but it's just trying to convince someone that this is something that can potentially be good in the future. And some, maybe it can't, you know, you know, it's, it's taken me quite four years to get here, which a lot of people don't get that luck to get there after four years and, you know, have to work a lot harder or sometimes it comes after two years, you know, success is, um, quite variable like that. Right. Right. I don't know about your, you know, your, your situation, but it sounds like you were able to, uh, to get there and, you know, that work paid off. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I've been able to, um, quit my job. So now this is my job, which is absolutely perfect. I'm very lucky f to be able to do that. Um, especially how hard the app store is at the moment to, to monetize. Do you remember actually having like a conversation with your family, um, saying, I mean, because they obviously noticed you were you were spending a lot of time doing maybe what looked like a hobby, you know, for these four years. Um, but you have this other job, um, you know, and they're, you know, they're looking to you. Right. So did you do you remember having like an actual conversation saying something like, look, this is like for me, it's it's like I know what I want to do now. You know, before it was I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Now I do. So that conversation always comes from that uh, perspective, from that place. I know exactly what it is I want to do now and I have to do what I got to do to get there. Do you remember having a conversation like that? Um, pretty much. Every time I try to convince um, my wife, you know, I'm going to spend £100 on uh, this Apple iOS developer registration. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, well, what are you going to get for that? It's, oh, it's just a... Yeah, it allows just, me to run um, yeah. the programs on my phone. So, well, can't you just download them on your phone anyway? Why do you need to pay £100 to Apple to do it? You know, just silly things like that. But then once um, 
I released a few apps and started bringing in like little bits of money here and there, you know, like 40 pound or like, you know, $50 a, a month or whatever. Um, once you saw like bits of money coming in, that, that kind of helps like, yeah, maybe this is possible, you know, it all, it all starts adding up. What was the first native iOS app that you released? Was it Crystal? No, it was um, an app called Wrist List. Wrist List. Wrist List. Yeah, it's um, a funny, funny name. It's basically a list, like a to-do list that syncs between your phone and your watch. Nice. Uh, for your Apple Watch. So um, that was one thing I wanted to make first off. And it also has one them um, notification. Is it notifications? There's glances. Glances. There's no... That's it. That's the word. It's a glance. It's got a glance. Where it just gives you a big list of your to-do list. Uh, nice. which is quite cool, which I don't think many other to-do lists done that at the time. They, there's probably hundreds that do now. But that was my first native app. What was that like developing for the Apple Watch? Um, it was a pain because <laughs> because um, I started with the Xcode with the, the beta. of. Oh, right. And naturally when you're developing against betas. Um, and it was like the extensions, not the um, actual watch OS, but the watch kit. That's extension. right. Yeah, it was the extensions. It was extension, so it wasn't like native at the time. Um, I still haven't updated it to go native, <laughs> which I feel a bit guilty about. But and um, you were using beta software, Xcode, beta Xcode. Yeah, so like you had to get around weird crashes and sync issues between the two devices, and um, just at that point, you were just using Xcode beta though, so you could take advantage of this new technology, or do you always use Xcode beta? Yeah, just literally just for the new technology, um, right. And, it, and then it was a complete pain because, you know, things would randomly break or randomly not work and you don't know if that's your problem or if it's Xcode's problem and you'd hope that that's, the next release will fix it. <laughs> that's like an interesting kind of deal that Apple makes there. It's like, okay, well, we're going to give you access to these new technologies so you can kind of be on the forefront and get ahead of everybody, but you got to use our beta software and help us fix it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And It's um, a good deal. And the exact same thing happened with Crystal because I worked against... Uh, the beta for iOS 9 to develop Crystal. So it's ready for the release of iOS 9. Um, and that was the same, like lots of, especially on the early betas, a lot of the APIs were just, just broken, like they just wouldn't work. Like they'd work on the simulator, but not the device or vice versa. And it was just trying to work out what am I doing wrong or what is, or what is going wrong and how do, you know, where is the problem? So I want to get into Crystal App. I want to get into Swift, iOS 9, all that. But before we do, I want to thank another one of my Learn Swift LA members. His name is Hi Nugin. You can find him at Aqua, A-Q-U-A, uh, or, you know, it's like Aqua Architect, A-Q-U Architect on, uh, on Twitter. I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, Hi is a Swift like I wouldn't say ninja, like a Swift genius. He's already read the book like front to back multiple times, I bet. He's like super into functional programming. He's been leading uh, Learn Swift LA's Swift uh, programming topic night or like, you know, Swift language night. So every other week, Learn Swift LA downtown, Little Tokyo, Opods. Thank you so much. Shout out to Opods for hosting us. So every other week, he'll lead us through a Swift language topic where I believe we use the exorcism platform. He'll download these work, um, like these uh, exercises, and they're tests. And we basically have to make the tests pass. If you've never, you know, heard of uh, testing, it's like, a, you know, you're doing unit tests, right? So they give us these tests, and we have to write um, 
Swift code from scratch to make the test pass. And it's a super cool, engaging way to learn Swift in the Swift syntax. And he's just been, you know, killing it. He's a rock star. Thank you so much to Hi. Uh, follow him on Twitter. And uh, you can find him on GitHub with the same um, handle. And he has a really amazing open source, I believe it's open source project called MyKit. And he also is like a tech writer for the Mac team at raywenderlich.com. And he was super cool guy. His MyKit um, framework is like ridiculous. Uh, anyways, thank you so much to, to Hi um, for just giving back to the community and for welcoming LearnSwift LA down there at Opots. He set that up. So thank you so much. All right, back to Dean. So, Dean, Swift came out June 2014. Where were you? Do you remember watching uh, the announcement? Um, what's the announcement? Yes, I was downstairs um, on my sofa, as always, with the Apple TV stream it. I, I normally book that week off work just so I can, um, you know, that's like my holiday, basically. <laughs> nice. I love that you actually remember where you were. Yeah, I'm always downstairs on my sofa. Um, hopefully this year I'll be able to go to WWDC in San Francisco and be there live. I, I, hopefully I'll be able to get a ticket. That would be so cool. I can't wait to go. I know I'm going to go one day. I just don't know when. <laughs> but, um, okay, yeah, so was... you're sitting on your couch, you're you're watching. What's going through your mind? Um, it's always like sensory overload. Like, you know, there's so many new things. It's like there's this new, then there's this new, then this is new. And then there's a new programming language that you can all learn. And it's got playgrounds, a live interactive, you know, displays and, and whatnot. And it's like, oh, wow. So um, naturally, I'm just tapping F5 every two seconds, waiting for the uh, download of Xcode to pop up. <laughs> Wait for the beta nice. to pop up, and then and, uh, and then just everyone in the world just tries to download, you know, the new iOS beta and the Xcode beta, and it's just going so slow. And um, oh wow, okay. An hour or two later, it's all downloaded, and yeah, just going straight in there and trying it out, and realizing I don't actually know how to write in Swift. So what the hell am I doing? <laughs> yeah, what did you do? Um, so I was looking around on Twitter, and then um, I saw that Apple published the their ebook. Right. Uh, the Swift Guide. So I just started reading that and that was really good. And I liked all the little pop culture references they put in. Like I think one of them was when it was demonstrating how to use an array. It had like an array of all the uh, characters from Firefly, you know, the popular TV show. Which is, oh, uh, I didn't notice that. Okay, I don't watch that show. Is that a good show? Should I watch it? Yeah, it's really good. Really good. It should okay, be on I'll I think it's on look. Netflix or something okay, like I'll that. Okay, I'll take a look. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's got quite a few, few little pop culture references hidden within the, within the book. And um, it's it was just very easy just going through it and it all just kind of sunk in and made sense at the time and um that the basics did at least anyway and just started writing swift and then xcode would crash and playgrounds would just crash because playgrounds was absolutely terrible for the first few betas from what i remember xcode was too i remember source kit would always crash oh yeah yeah just yeah it was it was a pain dealing with betas are a pain but it was a necessary evil to, to get the new stuff. So was your wrist list app out at that point already? Um, no, no, I can't, I can't remember. I think that's okay. So I, I'm then, a bit muddled with the time timelines, to be honest. Well, that's 2014. <laughs> maybe not because maybe the watch didn't even come out yet. No, but, no, the so watch wasn't you, out yet. The watch came out that September or October, I think. So you still, I mean, you have apps in the App Store that you released through Corona, but you haven't released, at this point, you haven't released a native app. 
So do you just give Objective-C up and you go headfirst into Swift or because of the bugs, maybe you don't? What was, um, what was no, it? yeah, I went straight headfirst in Swift despite the bugs and the, and the constant crashing. Um, sometimes I'd give it a week and wait for the next beta to be out um, and then just try again with that. But um, yeah, I just basically started working, just converting all my Objective-C apps that I've just done as a, you know, just a little test. Oh, wow, you actually converted them. Yeah, just going through and converting, just trying to see how easy it is to write the same functions. And, uh, you know, you start off writing them exactly how you would in Objective-C, you know, writing Objective-C code as you would in Swift. Right, right. Um, and then eventually just learning that's bad practice and then, you know, learning that a more Swift, you know, Swift has all these cool little features in. Um, like just, what? Like, um, I think one of my favorites is the for in loop. Right, I love that. Yeah, we just, you know, for this in this, and it will just iterate through it, you know, you haven't got to do right. for i equals, uh, i is greater than whatever, and, you know. The, what was it, the C the, the plus, C, plus? the C style loops. C style for loop, right. Yeah, because that's, I think they're bringing it out, they're taking it out. in. Yep, it's already three. gone. Well, at least it's, the, you get a warning now. So cool. I think by 3.0 or, or the next, you know, update, it'll be, but yeah, I think you already get a warning. Yeah, yeah. So originally, I, I pretty much just wrote my code lines for lines that was in Objective C. But then, as I was going on, I started learning all these new features and you know, like tuples and stuff like that, where you can just just make the code a lot more neater and nicer and more swiftier. Uh, Objective C doesn't have the for in loop, the for the yeah the for in loop. Um, I'm not sure. Okay, I, I don't, don't know. I, I don't think can I don't think it has it. Not to enumerate between for an array. I don't think so. One thing that I just learned is there's another way to do the for in. Besides like map, I think you can use like map as a replacement for for in loops. You can also use for each. So um, my array of ints dot for each, and then you do trailing closure syntax or however you want to handle it, and you just loop through your array that way. I just learned that uh, through high last week, last Wednesday. It's pretty cool. Oh, I didn't know that at all. <laughs> yeah, it's for each. Try it out. I believe it works on any object that conforms to sequence type or collection type uh maybe sequence type protocol okay yeah for each it's just like a for in but um i guess it's just a little different like i guess you don't have a name or you you could probably use the shorthand like the dollar sign zero or you could probably name it actually like yeah because it gives you an element so you could say like op open uh bra open curly brace like your own name whatever you'd want to name it in so you could use, I could probably use that, or you can do the dollar sign zero, like shorthand. But yeah, it works just like a foreign loop. And I haven't played with it that much, but. Okay, yeah, I've just found a documentation on it. I'm going to um, play around with that, I think. <laughs> what else do you like about Swift? I love Swift because it's like, it's like English to me. Yeah, it's just very nice and easy to read. And just when you just skim over it, it just reads very nicely. Um, that's one of my favorite parts of it, it's just reading just how it's structured um and also how it's very powerful like you know like with sequence types where if you know an object's a sequence type you can do some cool stuff with it you know like iterate through it um, right. very easily have you got into any of the functioning uh, functional programming stuff like map filter reduce and all that stuff i haven't no that's on my to-do list to to try i want to try the uh, functional and also the protocol oriented programming um, there was right a good, right good talk last year on wwdc about protocol orientated programming it seems like that's mainly what swift was built for in mind 
Right, right. And the way it was presented. The functional stuff is not that hard. We went over it um, last week. Uh, High showed us, but then I went and I totally understood it when when he was showing it. But then I went to a playground to try to do it myself, and, <laughs> and like it wasn't getting the same exact result. Uh, so I don't know. I need to. He put the code up actually on GitHub, so I need to just review that. But okay, so how often are you using Swift? Uh, I know you do. Uh, it sounds like you work with some some other you know non iOS related things. But when you're doing iOS, is it Swift only now, or are you still doing some Objective C? Um, I try to avoid Objective C when I can. Um, sometimes I've had to use it if I'm using like a, an external library that's only in Objective C. Okay. Um, or like an, an, X, an SDK in Objective C, but normally most of my work is probably ninety-five percent Swift. I actually woke up this morning and one of my listeners, Swift Coder listeners, John, I don't know how to say his last name, Stephanitis, maybe Stephanites, he's at DevMob now on Twitter. He asked me about Objective-C. He's like, do I need to learn Objective-C? Because one of our last episodes, Don Bora's like, I, I, know I teach all my students Objective-C, then we learn Swift. But I think his perspective was like, if you're going to go work for a company, but John wants to just be an independent iOS developer like you. So what would you say to someone like John uh, who thinks, you know, who wants to become an iOS developer, who's studying Swift, but is maybe hearing from other people that they need to learn Objective-C? He just wants to be an independent iOS uh, developer. Um, I think you can completely get away with just knowing Swift. Um, knowing Objective-C can make it a little bit easier in some circumstances. When you, um, like for example, if there's an external library that you want to use that's not been ported over um, into Swift, um, but apart from that, if you're just writing your own code, you can completely do it in Swift and and it's fine. Um, right. It's quite mature at this point. Um, right. So bug free and it's nice to use. So, I mean, if you're just staying within Apple's, you know, beautiful walled garden and all their frameworks, you're not using a third party library that isn't written in Swift or that you can't access in Swift. Um, you can do everything you need to do using Swift. Even if you're bridging to an Objective-C class, like, for instance, reachability, you don't really need to know Objective-C for that that much. I mean, you can kind of get away with just interpreting it. You might be able to find a solution online. Actually, you could because I have one on my GitHub. Um, so, so even that, you know, all of the APIs, for the most part, Apple's APIs, you can access with, with Swift. So I was going to tell him the same thing. Like, I don't think you need to... If you just want to be an independent iOS developer... Um, you know, you don't need to know Objective-C and I don't really know Objective-C that much and I'm, I'm getting offers for iOS Swift developer jobs with, you know, teams, not just independent, you know, with teams. So, well, thank you for that um, because, you know, John really wanted some info and I know other people are thinking the same thing. Yeah, I, th I think also once you've learned a good amount of Swift and you've used it quite a bit, it's quite easy just to look up the syntax of Objective-C and just know the very basics of it once right. you understand Swift. And also, there's it's quite a few things that Apple have brought to Objective-C to make it a little bit more like Swift, like the dot notation, where you can do, you know, object dot oh, right, color. Oh, right, okay, I didn't Instead know of that. doing objects, brackets, color, brackets. Okay, I didn't know <laughs> yeah. that. Okay, yeah. cool. All right, so I want to switch gears now and talk more specifically about Crystal App. You mentioned that uh, when you're kind of uh, tired of coding, you can switch it up and do other stuff like graphic design. Did you do the graphic design for Crystal App? Yep, done graphic design for. for well, you're modest Crystal. then, man, because Crystal <laughs> App is beautiful. I haven't, you know, I haven't like played around with the whole interface, but at least like the icon and the screenshots I've seen, it's it's really beautiful. 
So I don't know. You're you're being a little modest there. <laughs> I, it's very hard to have a uh, find to make a good simple design, um, but I try to make it as nice as what I can. Uh, I'm still 100 happy with it, but yeah. I heard good design and like good um, understand like you know good design comes from good observation. So like you see what looks good to you and see how they accomplished it, and then you can try to implement that in your own designs. But I don't know. I haven't spent that much time doing graphic design. I'd like to though. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a nice it's a nice skill to uh, to practice. I find. So iOS 9 is released June 2015 along with the content blocking API. What's going on in your head? Are you thinking immediately, kind of like Marco, for instance, like here's an opportunity? Um, or you know, when did this occur to you that you should you know, make Crystal App? Um, when I first saw it on, on the screen, I remember it just said content blocking. You know when Apple has that big blue screen and they've got like 100 different you know, here's all hundreds of different things that are coming. And then in one little corner, it said content blocking. And that really piqued my interest. I really want to know what that was about because I, th- I thought it was to do with ad blocking, you know, to do with blocking content. That's literally what I thought. But um, I had to wait until the session on the Friday of WWDC. So it was one of the last sessions where they actually had a session on the content blocking API. So I had to wait until... The whole the week. Safari View Controller uh, session. That's the one, yeah. Um, so I had to wait for that whole, um, the whole week for that session to uh, to be broadcast. So I was just waiting very patiently that week, and then um, at this point, I was very frustrated with the internet on mobile um, because you know every time I tried to go to a website, it would divert me to the App Store and try and get me to download some some apps, normally a gambling app or a free to play game. Or there'd just be these pop-up ads and it would just be really slow to load. And, you know, I've got a good Wi-Fi network at home. Why is it taking all this time? Um, so not long after iOS 9 beta drops, I made a very basic ad blocker. It only blocked ads on one website. Um, and the difference was amazing. I, first of all, I thought I must have got these numbers wrong. But um, it took like, the page load time down from 11 seconds down to two seconds, I think somewhere around there and also use like half the data that it would normally. Wow. And then I thought this can't be on every website, can it? And I checked all these major websites that I normally visit. It's like, yep. Um, on average 50% more data is you or 50% of data use is on downloading advertising and all the tracking scripts and, and all wow. that stuff. Um, so yeah, on average crystal made, web pages load four times faster and use half the data. You know, when you've got a very limited data plan of like two gigabytes per month, that's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of data saved. So before the session, I think it's introducing Safari view controller. Why is content blocking like interesting to you? Cause you didn't already do, you didn't already do these experiments. It was just because you noticed like you kept getting served these ads for like casino and you were kind of just thinking, like, oh, maybe there's something there where I can make my experience of, of you know, and maybe other people's experience of surfing the web better. Is that sort of what's going on in your head before you watch that, that, that uh, WWDC video? Yeah, pretty much before I watched it. Um, I thought I really want to try play with it because I don't want to wait until September. I want this feature now. And the only way to have it now is to make it. Um, so you did you watch the you uh, I'm assuming you watched the video you sound like you were eagerly waiting for it what do yeah. you remember as you're watching that video I watched it and it was pretty much 
everything I thought it would be. It was awesome. Apple. Um, it was Apple showing your website, and it had like evil tracking scripts JS, <laughs> and they they blocked it. <laughs> you know that was the example they used. Um, and then from there, I just went on and made my own, um, a very basic one. Uh, wrote a blog post, and that blog post, as I said before, just went viral. You wow. know, the front of front page of Reddit, Daring Fireborn, and I started getting requested to have interviews with various newspapers. Wow. Which is, and that's so why I thought, you know, I should really turn this into a product because there seems to be a lot of demand for this. And because um, naturally I thought I'll just do it for myself because there's a lot of people in ad blocking industry already, a lot of companies in the ad blocking industry. What could I add that's different to them? Right. Um, you know, they'll just jump in first, get all the attention. But for some reason, I was talking about ad blocking and I got the attention. So I thought I'd be silly if I didn't make this into an app with all this exposure I've just got. Right. So it's mainly just using all this new exposure I've got to, um, to make this app, you know, a full product. What um, did you decide to do differently? What did I decide to do? Um, well, because you mentioned like you could do something, you you mentioned other people were just going to do it. Maybe you could do it with your own kind of twist. Yeah. Well, I, didn't really know much about ad blocking at that point. Um, so there's a lot of resources out there when I started looking around. You know, there's um, something called Easy List, which is a big list of um, advertising servers which are normally blocked for advertising purposes. And it's quite a, like, an open list that anyone can contribute to. Or, um, is that like a ghostery? I know Marco, I heard him talking about ghostery for his one that he used to have, but then he got rid of it. Yeah, Is that Ghost the same Street, kind of thing? I think Ghostree make their own list and he licensed it from them. Okay, so you basically have these lists. You're you're right. He did li- um, license that's it. Right. I remember him mentioning. Okay, so that's you find these lists out there and you use these lists to basically manage like what you're filtering. Yeah, so I just basically used an open source one um, to start off with and then I just modified it and just took bits out of it and added to it to make it more optimized for mobile and to optimize it for speed because the more things on the list the longer it's going to take to iterate through it when you try and load a web page. Okay, so I remember at the time, I mean, you're, you know, you're spending this whole summer developing this application, but at that, at this point, no one's really talking about it that much. You know, the, the excitement from, from DubDub kind of dies down, but then once it's getting closer to actually iOS 9 coming out, they're starting to get some excitement. And, um, you know, I know Marco got a lot of, um, you know, publicity or whatever, you know, attention for his application. And then he took it off. Um, and then I saw your app available. And then I saw another application that was a content blocker. That's the one I, it's called. Um, well, it's the one I ended up uh, downloading. It's called Purify. The reason I did that is because I was going to get yours. But then I saw this whole like kind of controversy and I just didn't want to get involved. And so I kind of feel bad because that means you really did lose at least one sale, me, because there was like this controversy, like people were saying, I don't know, that you were maybe it has something to do with easy list. I mean, I'll let you explain it, but like, I just wanted to let you know kind of how it, it really did affect me. And it was just because I didn't want to get involved. I didn't want to like, I just wanted to buy an app and like have this experience because I did want my content to be blocked. But I will say this. It's not my, my Purify blocker. It's not blocking ads anymore. Like I go to Mac Rumors, for instance, and I still see ads. So um, <laughs> I wanted to hear your perspective first, and then I was going to download your application. I was going to download Crystal. But I wanted to kind of hear your perspective on this whole – I mean, I'm calling it a controversy because it seemed like it was it was something like that. But yeah, what was, what was it, going on? definitely felt like a little storm within a teacup kind of thing at the time. Um, looking back at it, uh, about 
about what you said there about purifying not blocking adverts on Mac rumors. If you because this happens on Crystal as well for some reason, I think it's to do with iOS. If you disable it in the settings and then re-enable it, that should fix it because of some okay, reason. Okay, it's like kind of restarting or something. Yeah, for some reason it looks like it's activated, but Safari have, has unactivated it in the background. Okay. So, Wait, um, can I have multiple content blockers at the same time? Yeah, yeah, you can. Oh, oh, nice. Okay, cool. So I don't have to choose. <laughs> no, you can just have as many as you want or as little as you want. <laughs> okay, but, so what, what exactly was going on at the time then? What was all that? Yeah, so it's just like... Um, just a little interview I gave with the Wall Street Journal. Um, I've been talking with this company called Adblock Plus, who make one of the biggest ad blockers on um, desktop, and now they're on mobile as well, um, to license their um, ad blocking initiative called Acceptable Ads, where it encourages a better form of advertising on the internet. Right. So um, basically what, what would happen is there would be an option within the app, or it's going to be an option within the app that will allow ads that meet your specific criteria to be displayed if you want them to. So it's mainly just to encourage better advertising online and still enabling websites to monetize because obviously a lot of websites are, you know, funded by advertising. Um, so it's just trying to make a more responsible ad blocker because not all ads are bad. You know, there's, you know, you've got the ads that pop up or load videos or take up a lot of data and stuff like that. But then you've got the ads which are, you know, like Google ads, for example, are generally quite good in terms of um, being respectful to the user. You know, they're normally relevant and they normally take up a little bit of space. So it's mainly just to encourage better advertising. They've got a strict criteria which um, these acceptable ads follow. So um, the Wall Street Journal kind of turned this into Crystal's going to start letting you pay money to um, show ads to you. Or something like that. And right. Then, okay. I remember that. Like, um, yeah. I'm an advertiser, so I'm going to go to you and say, hey, I'll pay you to let me advertise to people that are using your app. Yeah. Yeah. But that's completely not how it works. Um, Adblock Plus run the acceptable ads at the moment. They're handing it over to an, an independent board sometime. And how it works is um, it's free for small and medium websites to be on. So, you know, if you read that, if you meet that criteria, it's free to be on. Or if you're a large website, which I think is 50 million blocked ads a month um, or something like that, uh, you pay 30% of your lost revenue that's regained from unblocking ads, if that makes sense. It's a little it's confusing. A, yes, it's a little. It's but a, I think what's yeah. important is to understand what there's two things like how did you first get in touch with the these this like organization mm. or this you know this list and like what was why did you um decide to you know you you know partner with them or not partner i don't know whatever it was like use them in your application and like what is their main goal so it sounds like their main goal is uh, more responsibility in advertising and better advertising um because you know some people rely on advertising i listen to a lot of podcasts that rely on advertising i've I look at a lot of websites that rely on advertising. So I get that part. But one that I guess I'm a little confused on is like, wh how did it come about that you originally um, got involved, like not got involved, but like like uh, almost like it's a technology and you're using it in your application, right? Like how did you come across the idea and yeah. what was the point? Yeah, so um, the CEO of Adblock Plus reached out to me and we had a few Skype calls and I got to meet their team and I like, speak to their team and um, they're really cool people and I've, since spent uh, quite a bit of time with him, I've gone over to Germany to their offices for a few weeks, and um, I just really like really like the guys. You know, a good 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 group of people there. Um, so they just reached out to me and just explained to me, you know, ad blocking is all well and good, but you know, 
you, ad blockers are very blunt tools. You know, if you block every single thing online and everyone's everyone's blocking all these things, that's going to hurt the websites, which, um, which is quite true. Because I, I didn't actually go into ad blocking thinking I was going to be hurting websites. I just thought, well, this is really cool. It's making the internet faster. It's making it a better experience. Right, less taking less data. Yeah, you know, I just wasn't thinking about what I was creating. I was just thinking of... Um, you know, Making a just, better experience. Yeah, this, this is a lot better. Um, but I wasn't thinking, you know, this isn't better for the people who's actually relying on advertising as their source of income. Um, so they were talking about how... I actually spoke to them quite a lot about advertising, the advertising industry, which I know knew nothing about at the time. Um, just like how broken ad tech is and how there's so many different companies and so many different advertisers all trying to do all these different things. And um, there's quite a few that do it responsibly, quite a few that don't. So it's... And mainly, I just really like the, the, their goal of just to encourage better advertising online. Right. It's something that no one website can put forward or no one advertising company can put forward because it's the, the whole industry that's fundamentally broken at this point. Um, you know, there's too many advertising companies out there where not everyone's going to agree to this, you know, agree right. to do a responsible advertising tool to everyone. So um, I thought, yeah, I, I don't mind trying to encourage better advertising. Um, and if people want to support that, I'd like them to support that with the app. And there's going to be an option within the app to do that. Cool. So that's one of the new features you're going to be putting out soon? Yeah, yeah. Along with um, user-controlled whitelisting. So they can choose what websites they want to allow advertising from. Um, right. And there's a few few more features which I'm trying to get working, which uh, have potential to be quite cool. So as we kind of mentioned before, the content blocking, you know, the story or the technology, it's, it always has to be updated because um, it's sort of a cat and mouse type of a game. But if I download Crystal app, that means um, I can have, it sounds like the, the next version, I'll have two choices. I can just block everything that you currently support blocking, or I can allow the acceptable ads through this, um, this uh, like uh, committee that you know, kind of is pushing for better advertising. That's right, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, exactly. So it's two options, block everything or um, allow acceptable ads that meet this criteria. And it's all all very open. You can see the criteria on acceptableads.org. And also you can download the list, which shows you exactly what's being unblocked if you want to look through that so you can see what type of adverts are unblocked. Okay. So what do you think people were... Like, I don't know, I don't want to say mad, but what were people like kind of attacking? It seems like to me, like people were attacking you actually. Like, why were they, what were they attacking you about then? Like, they thought that you were maybe like greedy or something. You were trying to just like, I don't know, what were they attacking you for? Yeah, uh, well, it was, uh, well, Crystal was like the number one app um, around the world. I, like, I think it hit 27 countries, it was number one. Wow, which dude, was, congratulations. Uh, which is amazing because I never thought, you know, I'd, you know, beyond the number one of the app stores around the world. Um, so, so basically, it mainly stemmed when um, I don't want to say I was misquoting the Wall Street Journal, but if I was, I'd probably reword what I said. Because if you say something to the media and they can just easily quote something out of context and it's, right. and make it sound a lot worse than, than what it is, like um, and by the time it was picked up by other news agencies, like for example, The Verge, uh, pretty much rewrote what. So, uh, this from like a line that was in the Wall Street Journal and they made it sound like Crystal would let anyone pay to let you show ads to them um, so it was kind of and then once the Verge picked up you know every other website kind of picks up from them and you know so, um, you know just everything just gets lost down the chain you know right. all these websites like picking up one after the other and 
copying it from each other and losing something in the process, you know. So, yeah, well, it's very bad messaging. T- how it got talking to you now and learning <laughs> about your story. Um, I think as long as you're coming from an honest place, a place where you really are trying to do something good, you're trying to create a good experience, you're trying to create a, a good product for people. I think in that case, no news is bad news. And for, for you, it seems like all of that was just ultimately good. Yeah, maybe you did lose one sale in me, but you're gaining one uh, now because I'm definitely going to be downloading Crystal app and checking it out. Yeah, I mean, it's still got strong downloads at the moment, which I'm very happy for, and it's doing very well on Android as well. Um, yeah, I want to talk about yeah. uh, that on uh, the Android. So are you actually the one developing the Android version? Um, kind of. I've got, um, I'm using the source code from Adblock Plus. So I've, I've basically, um, forking their version of it, um, with their consent and just editing it, editing it. Uh, I can't speak now. Editing <laughs> it. That's a hard word for me to say for some reason. Editing it so, just to, uh, make it more personal to Crystal. I see. Okay. So, but like, what does that entail then de- developing for Android? I mean, are you, is that Android Studio? Like you're grabbing their code, putting in Android Studio, making it more crystal. Yeah, basically. Um, how it works is I was actually approached by Samsung in December. Who sent Wow, me... dude, you're like big time. <laughs> I know. I know. It's absolutely crazy. I um, didn't know that when I, uh, <laughs> I'm getting kind of nervous now. I'm glad it's like towards the end of the interview. I'm getting nervous. You're big time. <laughs> Thanks. Um, but yeah, Samsung contacted me and said they're going to be implementing in their next update and on their next range of phones, which is the S7. Um, basically, the same sort of content blocking functionality that Apple in, uh, introduced in iOS 9. Right. Um, and we want you as one of the you know leading iOS content blockers to be a part of that. So I I've never really done anything on Android before, but I didn't want to turn that down. Um, so I was speaking with the guys from Adblock Plus, and they said they're working on it too. And I thought, well, maybe we can share resources because um, we've all got a common goal, really, of you know creating an ad blocker. So I've contributed a little bit to it, but um, they've done most of the work. And I've focused their version, and yeah, here we are. It's on Android for supporting the Samsung internet browser. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Congratulations. So, um, so, yeah, it's nice to try a little bit of Android development. Um, I have to say I don't like it as much as as uh, Xcode and Swift using Java and Android Studio. Right. I heard there's some some pluses, like maybe there's more freedom, but then I heard there's a lot of downsides. Like it's not as um, tightly integrated and like it's not a very smooth development process compared. Yeah, I th- I think a lot of my dislike is mainly because it's different to what I know. Okay. <laughs> and it's, um, yeah, I mean, Apple is what I use and, you know, I've used Xcode for quite quite a while now, so I'm used to it. I'm used to all its quirks and how to do things. Your Android Studio is just very different. Um, so it's just getting used to the Android Studio way of doing things. And, and Java, I don't really enjoy it as a language. It there was me. just a rumor that's yeah. uh, Google. You saw that Google might make Swift the first class language for yeah. Android development. I, I would cool. love that to happen. That would make life a lot easier. I'd like if well, they um, allowed Xcode to build for Android as well. <laughs> yeah. I can't that, see that happening. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be interesting because, I mean, you know, we want to make applications for, you know, native iOS applications or, you know, not just iOS, all of Apple's devices. But, you know, we can't ignore the other um, 
population, you know, like the other side of the, the, the coin, right? There's so many other people that use, you know, non-Apple devices. So we'll see. What would you say to somebody that is an iOS developer that has an idea that would make sense as an Android application? Um, you know, would, is it pretty kind of easy to get up and running? Is it is it kind of familiar or what would you say? Um, it wasn't familiar at all. I thought it would be very familiar um, jumping into it compared to what I know on the iOS side of things. But um, that the idea is just completely different. So I'd recommend trying a sample project. You know, the SDK and everything there is free to download, which is brilliant. Um, and if you've got an Android device, it's I believe it's free just to run it on your own device. Um, so I'd recommend trying it. But it is it will be a lot more work than what you probably think it would be. So maybe there's some uh, developers out there thinking about getting into the ad blocking game. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, obviously, maybe you don't want more competitors. I don't know. Maybe you do. Do you feel like there's room for for more content blockers? Or do you kind of have the game locked up tight? Um, I'm not sure, really. I mean, once a popular app is on the App Store, I mean, once an app is, you know, um, between me, like, Purify and Peace, we'd like the top three apps for right. for about a, a day. And then once Peace, when it was me and Purify for about a week, we was both at the number one spot around that, well, within the top 10 at least, for a good few weeks. So I think there's not much market anymore for a new right. content blocker. Right, right. Like you kind of got it up. Qu quite a few big names have released content blockers, like... Um, uh, Firefox released one a few months after Crystal. Um, and that's, for example, that's a free app now. Um, there's quite a few free content blockers that people have made and quite a few paid ones. So it's, it seems very saturated now. Okay. It seemed like something that people wanted from day one. And and now are it's you just gone down. <laughs> are you planning on continuing to just work on Crystal or do you have some projects you've been thinking about maybe releasing soon, some new businesses or maybe side projects? Um, uh, in, in iOS development, of course. At the moment, just uh, just Crystal. I'm just working on okay. 2.0 updates. After that, I want to um, make the make Crystal, but for um, OS 10. Oh, so interesting. Make it, for, cool. make it for the desktop Safari. And I'm try I'm using Apple's CloudKit APIs. So hopefully, um, whatever release last year, I think they released um, a way to use CloudKit with JavaScript. Right, right. So yeah. hopefully I can get CloudKit JS. Yeah. There's a CloudKit web service. There's a CloudKit server to server. Yeah, exactly. So I want to, because um, um, Crystal all runs on CloudKit. So I want to have like setting sync between desktop and and mobile, um, and try and get that going. That'd be quite cool. Wow, I wish I knew that. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit <laughs> you up when I need some CloudKit advice. I like CloudKit, and I feel like I don't hear a lot of people talking about it like, as a, as a solution. People kind of just write it off. Um, but really now with <laughs> it's really funny, a little funny story. I actually started writing because I wanted to have um, background updates from day one on Crystal because you know, like I said before, things change in ad blocking, and you got to update the block list constantly. Oh, you can do that without updating the application. You can just update it server side. Yeah, yeah. So oh, that's it. so cool. Yeah, so I update the block list remotely. Um, so I started using Pass to start off with. And one of my beta testers worked for Apple. And he said, can we have a little meeting? I'd like to talk to you about Crystal when it was still in beta. Dude, you're and like <laughs> big time, man. You're meeting with Apple, Samsung. Who are you, Dean? <laughs> I know, I know. It's, <laughs> it's completely blew me away. So there I was on night shift having a... A phone call at 10 o'clock at night, which in an um, America time was, you know, midday or something. 
And he said, I really like your app, but why are you using Pass? Why aren't you using CloudKit? Boom. You know, just out of interest, because I work on close to the CloudKit team. We're just wondering, why didn't you decide to use CloudKit? And I thought, um, I don't know, really. So he spoke. So we had a little conversation about CloudKit and what advantages it would give. And luckily, Pass is closing down and I didn't actually use them. Otherwise, I would have to look for an alternative right now. So um, I'm quite happy that I switched to CloudKit halfway through development. Yeah, and then now, I mean, you have server-to-server, you have JS, and you have the web service. I mean, besides, I mean, really, there's no reason not to do it. Some people say it's slow. I don't know. I mention it to people, and they kind of like, like iOS developers, I mention it to them. And they're like, oh, I never thought about it, or what's that? It's like, are you serious? Like, what are you sleeping on CloudKit for? You know, it's like. Definitely recommend it. I mean, my app got very popular, and I haven't hit the paid tier on, on CloudKit. Because um, I know it's, it's quite confusing the uh, the, the uh, payment tiers where it's like free and then it becomes paid after you hit a certain criteria. I mean, granted, right, but you only download a little bit of data per user. But um, wow! So with Crystal App, you haven't hit the limits to no, where you're. In fact, wow. the limits are higher for me because every every user you've got increases your limit by right x percent. Wow. Well, I wish we could continue to talk, but I have to I have to end it. I want to talk to you more, but I have to end it uh, just, you know, because we've already gone over. But man, oh, this has just been so great. And <laughs> I okay. definitely look forward to talking to you more. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. OK, so uh, one thing, though, I wanted to just mention the kind of going back to the ad thing is like in general, I don't like advertising, but I do like when ads are good. Like uh, I've been watching some YouTube ads and they're really creative and they're engaging and I actually watch them. Um, and like if an advertisement is like it actually gives me information that I want to know that I do want to click like it's great. So, um, yeah, just like good for you to to take this challenge on. And um, to I think if, if everything that you're saying and this like committee is really doing that to like make better advertising, that's great because. I hate ads that are bad. Like when I'm walking down the street or driving and I see this billboard and it's like all bloods and guts. I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to see that. You know, no, like I want to, you know, um, and just, yeah. I think so good advertising, you so you, no one notices good advertising because it's good advertising. You see it as something else. But, Content. Yeah, but bad, ad, yeah, exactly. But bad advertising sticks out terribly, you know, like seeing like a big pus riddled finger saying how to stop your finger falling off in 10 easy steps or something like that. So, yeah, yeah, thank you for, uh, you know, I'm sorry if people were, you know, attacking you and stuff. But, yeah, thanks, thank you for doing that. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to downloading Crystal. And, um, man, and one thing actually I wanted to say, because I feel like this is really important, is do you have any advice uh, for people to kind of how do they notice these opportunities? Because these little opportunities don't come every year. You know, maybe they come every other year, like a, a content blocker type of opportunity. Uh, do you have any advice for people like how to notice that? And do you feel like there are going to be more opportunities for people that like the next Dean Murphy, for instance, like, do you feel like there will be those opportunities and how do you find them? How do you notice them? Um, first of all, which I find a lot of developers do is um, don't keep it a secret. Talk about what you're working on. Like, I was talking about Crystal before it was even Crystal. And that got a lot of attention because no one else was talking about this API that just come out a week ago. Um, so yeah, I just say block your progress and um, talk about it openly. There's going to be people copying you no matter what. Like, um, there's thousands of content blockers on, on the, uh, app store today, but 
the only three that was talked about were the ones that were mentioned a lot during development, which is Crystal Purify and um, Mark Iamont's One Piece when he, his came out. He uh, had a big promotion with that. So I'd say look at what Apple's releasing that's new, play around with it, and if you've got any interesting results from it, just talk about it. And it's um, a really, it's a really good yeah. advice. I mean, Apple's pretty much telling you what's new. They're giving you like the key, you know, this is all new, and then they've released the NDA, so you can talk about, um, you know, beta software and like the beta APIs now a bit more freely than what you could. Um, now, a few years I ago. know you don't have inside information, or at least I don't, I don't think you do. But <laughs> do you feel like there's going to be some new? There should always be some new opportunities like this. I would say so. I mean, every year there's new opportunities on iOS for doing something new. Um, I mean, ad blocking I think was a very one-off golden goose right. kind of opportunity because that was something that annoys a lot of people right you know people around the world are annoyed with advertising and the benefit of an ad blocker is you know faster internet and less data is a win-win situation for the people using them right um so that was a very unique opportunity but um there's definitely opportunities every time apple releases new software uh, or new major releases um so keep an eye on wwdc and uh, the only downside is you've got to play around with beta software and that's has its frustration sometimes, but um, it's worth it to be on the billion edge and, you know, being the first to market with something new. Well, Dean, we got to end it here. Thank you so much. Uh, before we go, where can people contact you online? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Crafty Dino. I'm not really crafty, but that's my Twitter name at least. <laughs> <laughs> or my website is at, uh, no, it's not at, my website is www.murphyapps.com. Co. Cool, and we will definitely link to those uh, in the show notes. So before we be go, uh, before we go, last piece, uh, one piece of advice for people learning Swift. Go to learn Swift. I would say if you're learning, just pick a sample project and work to that project. So you know, like I said earlier, build a calculator. It's something that hundreds of people, have, you know, thousands of people have done before. But you learn so much in actually making something simple. And then, you know, pick another project from there, another project. And then you start looking at more original things and, and ju or just adding original features to existing things. Great advice. Definitely. I, I agree with that. Just stick with one project. Try to see it through the end. That way you don't get overwhelmed by all the possibilities and all the different learning resources out there. It's really good advice. All right, Dean, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, for sharing your story, for giving us all your tips and tricks and for telling us about this, you know, the content blocking thing about Crystal app. I mean, you know, I know that might've been tough for you at the time, but yeah, thank you for sharing that story, being honest with us. And um, just, I wish you continued success uh, with Crystal and everything else that you're doing. And I really look forward to speaking with you again. And so, yeah, just thank you so much. Yeah, no problem at all. Thanks for inviting me on. And that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Swift Coders podcast. Feel free to share the show with a friend, leave a review on iTunes, or recommend us on Overcast. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, contact me on Twitter. Until next time, go swiftly, my friends. Yeah.